turn to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. It's going to be our opening text tonight. Um, majority of you here would know about my neighborhood because I've testified a number of times about it, but um, there's a million kids in the park all the time. Yesterday, I, while I was trying to prepare, um, I had nine kids sitting in my driveway just, you know, hanging out. Um, if my car is in the driveway, then they know I'm home. I should have some kind of sheet that blocks it. <laughs> but they know I'm home when my car is there and whenever my car is there, they come knocking. Emma, are you there? Emma, are you there? And they don't give up. Even today, I was sitting on the couch half dead and there they were again peeking. Are you there? I'm like, I can't today. I'm sick. I'm trying to prepare my message. And, and they come all the time. And the majority of the time I answer the door, um, but there are some times, you know, like I don't hear them. Um, and they will tell me next time. The other day there was a situation where I had a, a package that had come in the mail. I didn't even expect it. And it was sitting on my front step. And I came home and they came rushing over from the park and they're like, did you get your package? And I was like, how did you even know? Was it? We thought you were home and like we knocked. What's in your package? You know, they were so excited. And we knocked for ages and you didn't answer. And I was like, it's because I wasn't home. Um, One time um, I wasn't feeling well and I was having an afternoon nap and I heard a knock at the door and it was little Blair, one of the little girls that some of you know. She knocked on the door and she went to the window and then she actually walked away from the veranda, came around to my bedroom window and started knocking and I'm just like, she doesn't know I'm here. And I felt really bad, but I just just couldn't, I was sick. Um... But she would not give up. She kept knocking and knocking for ages. And then she went away. And then she came back again. Um, And these days, you know, I'm the one, every time I hear a noise, I'm like, are they out there? I want them to come in because I want them to feel loved in my neighborhood. And I don't want to miss them coming to visit me. Sometimes it can be a bit of a drama, but I always am blessed every time they come. So all of that being said, why knock? What is this social convention that we all kind of, agree to you know it's not like anyone kind of taught us in school that you have to knock to go to someone's house um and there's a couple of things one it announces our presence at the house you know i'm here and it implies that we want to come in you wouldn't like you don't normally knock unless well yeah no salesmen do they want to come in and sell you stuff so that that was a bad example um the other thing we know about knocking is that we recognize the right of the person who dwells in the house to either open the door or not to open the door it's in that person's power and those kids know majority of the time if i have the door thankfully locked if they knock and i don't answer it means i'm not home or i don't want to open the door they know that Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20 says, Behold, this is Jesus speaking, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. And so the title of my message tonight is Knock, Knock, Who's There? And we'll just pray. Lord, we thank you, mighty God, that you are in this place tonight, that you've promised to meet with us, God. If we are willing, God, you're willing, God, to change our hearts tonight. And I pray as I bring that which you've put on my heart, God, I pray that I would deliver it, God, with anointing, Lord, with your power, Lord Jesus, that it would be what you, oh Lord God, want your people to hear. And I pray let us be willing to receive it, Lord Jesus, to open our hearts as you knock on the door, Lord God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. So chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Revelation give us letters uh, to seven churches in Asia. And there's one letter written to each of the churches. And these seven churches and their problems kind of capture the problems that can be found in any church. It's not just, wasn't just specifically for their church. If you look at it, you can probably go, oh yeah, I know that person's got that problem and that church has that problem. You know, we like to pick other people's problems. Um, And when we read Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, we're reading part of the letter to the um, church in Laodicea. And the letter um, to this church states a few things. Um, The first one is that they're neither hot or cold in their service to God. They're not on fire, but they're not really, really cold and not even in the church. They're kind of in the middle. They're lukewarm. And God says that he will spew them out of his mouth. Um, They're wealthy, but God calls them poor and wretched. And he also calls them miserable and naked and blind. It's pretty straight. If you got that letter in your mouth, how would you feel? I'd just burn that one and then, I don't know, stomp on it. I wouldn't like to get a letter like that. To be lukewarm was a term that the church, they understood, this church understood it uh, because the town was situated in a valley and uh, to the north of them was a town called Heropolis um, where they had very healthy hot springs, really, really hot water. And to the south was um, Colossae where they had cold springs, very, very cold water. And Laodicea had a continual problem. They had to um, build an aqueduct to try and get the water because they never had enough in their town so they had to bring it from those two towns. But the problem was, is by the time it got there, the water was lukewarm. And it became, it was useless. It was good for nothing. It became an environment for diseases uh, to breed. It became undrinkable. It was, it had no purpose. And no one likes, except maybe for me, a, a lukewarm coffee. You know, you want it either hot or you want an iced coffee. You don't want it in between. You don't go to the shops and expect a lukewarm coffee. They know it's got to be hot or it's got to be cold. Um, sorry. <coughs> you don't like a lukewarm shower. Uh, people that do, it's, I don't understand that. It's got to be hot to wash all that grit off me. And definitely not a lukewarm glass of water. I like tap water, but I don't like it being kind of on the warm side when it's sat in the bottle for a while in the sun. It's just disgusting. And all you want to do when you take it is vomit it out. I don't want it. It's gross. But the Lord wasn't talking about natural water. And isn't that the way with God? He uses the natural, the things that we understand, and he brings it to a parallel into our spiritual so that we can then understand it. And he was speaking of their ineffectiveness for the kingdom of God, their indifference, their apathy, and their spiritual deficiency. And the word lukewarm in the dictionary means having or showing little zeal or enthusiasm. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Nothing really moved the church in Laodicea. They weren't overcome by the great need around them of their city for the gospel. They also weren't really entirely aware of their own need for God in their lives. And Laodicea was a, it was a wealthy city. It was on a trade uh, route. And they had... Um, built a lot of wealth in that city because there's a lot of people going through and they had taken things into their own hands they'd become wealthy they had all they needed or so they thought and interestingly looking at this today the word Laodicea comes from two Greek words meaning rights and people the meaning of Laodicea is the rights of the people they were under the rule of human desire and what they felt were their right 
How many people do we have working in human rights organizations? It's their right. They should have this. That's where Laodicea was at. But the Lord called them wretched, poor, and miserable. They pretended that everything was okay, and yet deep down in their hearts, they were so very far away from God. They looked the part. They said the right things. But God was saying that what they had was nothing more than a mask. Nothing more than just a mask. And the only way to get back to where God wanted them to be was by taking off the mask, repenting, and allowing him to come into their lives completely. He stood at the door and he knocked, waiting for them to hear his voice and open the door. Last night, we had a very powerful Bible study at youth group. And uh, it was about things that can inhibit, kind of generally speaking, inhibit, restrain or limit us from being what God wants us to be. And the Lord moved mightily and reminded us that we need to stop pretending that everything is fine when it is not and allowing him to come in and work in our lives and heal. And I feel the Lord wants us to understand tonight that we have to make a decision. It all comes down to a choice. We can say we don't have the power, but we do. We have the power to make a choice. We must make it whether we allow him to come into our whole life and refresh restore and renew or whether we continue to wear the mask try to do it on our own and end up failing we will will we let him do the work that he wants to do or like the lord spoke to us on wednesday night will we quench the spirit the lord said in verse 15 of revelation 3 that he would prefer the church be hot or cold he would prefer that rather than profess profess christianity from the lips that it comes from the depths of a heat burning on the altar or don't profess it at all. God would prefer either hot or cold to what now existed, anything better than this condition of lukewarmness where love is professed but where it does not exist and where vows and promises are made to God and have been spoken but are not fulfilled by the people of God. And 2 Timothy 3 and 5 uh, tells us, Paul warning Timothy, to stay away from people that have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. Having a mask, pretending that we're all that and more, and in the depths struggling to surrender to the power that comes from God. Turn to First Samuel chapter 8. First Samuel chapter 8, and we'll read verse 5 and 6. This is the children of Israel speaking to Samuel, the prophet, and said unto him, Behold, <coughs> sorry, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. Israel had been for many years under the rule and reign of the king, God, under King Jesus. God was their king. But now Israel decided that God wasn't the right king for them. They decided that they wanted to take things into their own hands and be like every other nation. They wanted to be like everyone else. They didn't want to be different. They didn't want to stand for something. They wanted to be like everyone else, and they wanted a human king. We don't want to be different. We really don't want to hear what God has to say because he doesn't tell us things we like to hear. We want a king that we can manipulate, that we can 
make do what we want him to do. And what the Israelites failed to grasp over and over again is that it was never, ever their kingdom. It was God's kingdom. He chose Israel. They didn't choose him. They didn't decide one day to just come together and, oh, yeah, let's make ourselves a great nation. That was God that promised that and spoke that over them. It was God's choice for them to be the kingdom. But nothing was going to persuade the Israelites otherwise. Even the sobering warning, and I read it today and it broke my heart, the things that it prophesies in that uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 10 to 18 about uh, Saul and the king he's going to take and he's going to take and he's going to take and he's going to take till there's nothing left. And that really troubled me that the Israelites would still turn away even though there was this clear prophecy that everything was going to be taken from them everything their sons and their daughters but didn't change their mind and in verse 19 it says nevertheless the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and they said nay but we will have a king over us and so Saul was appointed as king over Israel and at that point so began the demise of the nation of Israel because they chose to have a king rule over them that was not God and the problem with putting humanity in power is that humanity is flawed. Even the most powerful ones, even the ones that are the most anointed and have powerful ministries, even the ones that have callings of pulpit ministry or have an amazing voice or whatever it is you're called to do, we're human. It doesn't matter who you are, we are all flawed. And because of that, many of us know that Saul became consumed with his power and his self-importance And it became the reason why God stripped the nation from him and the power that he did have in the beginning. And when we look at every battle that the Israelites went up to fight, it was only, only when they were completely submitted to the rule and reign of God. When they were in total obedience to him that they gained victory and power. And so it is in our lives. It is only, there is no other choice There is no other way to go. It is only when we are completely submitted to his will, to the rule and reign of God, when we are in total obedience to him, that we will gain victory and that we will gain the power that it speaks of in the word of God. When we allow his kingdom to rule, and we've heard it said time and time again, but we too often don't truly grasp it. We are in a battle. We are in a battle and there is a fight going on in this world. We don't see it, but it's in each of us individually. When we are filled with the Holy Ghost, we now have two kingdoms at odds. We have the fleshly kingdom. Unfortunately, it doesn't disappear. It rears its ugly head time and time. It doesn't go away. It doesn't get pushed out. It's there, the fleshly kingdom. But we now have a holy kingdom. And they both desire to have dominion and they both desire to have power. And if he is not the king of our lives, then his kingdom does not have dominion and power in our lives. One writer said, when Jesus came to this earth, wherever he went, hell shattered at his feet. And that's what the kingdom of God does ultimately. Look at what happened in the word of God. Whenever, wherever Jesus went, the spiritual was awakened something happened demons were cast out the sick were healed the dead were raised again and there was opposition because the kingdom of God had come to those places 
had come to those sick people. Jesus was the kingdom and he had come. Jesus, as a man, was completely surrendered to the will of the Father. The power of God and his anointing rested on the man because he was surrendered to it. And we go out into our neighborhoods and we want to try and witness to people. We try to do the things that Jesus did, but we see no results. And sometimes we need to wonder why. Is it really because the people of Australia are too hard? Is it because, oh, they just don't want to hear about God? I'm not saying that, you know, if you walk in the spirit that you'll encounter breakthroughs time and time again at every turn because it's still up to the power of choice in each person whether they surrender to the power of God. But I am saying that if we were walking around yielded to the power of God in us, the kingdom reigning in us, then we walk with a power that can break chains that can declare spiritual liberty in places that have been spiritually bound by the devil and his demons. But only if we're walking in his kingdom and under his rule. Matthew chapter 17, the story that reads from verse 14 about Jesus, he and some of the disciples have just been transfiguration on the mount and they come down from the mountain and they come across this man and he says to to the lord you know have mercy on my son he's he's crazy he's possessed and your disciples couldn't cure him and his response says oh faithless and perverse generation how long shall i be with you how long shall i suffer you bring him hither to me and so jesus rebukes the devil and he, the child was cured and he's in his right mind and everything's great. And the disciples say to Jesus, they say, can you come here? We need to ask you a question. And they say, why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place and it shall remove and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. Just a couple of things I want to bring out from this story. The first thing is the question that the disciples asked was, why couldn't we cast him out? They thought that it was in their power to cast out the demon. Why can't I do this? Well, it's not up to you to do it. It's not in your power. And the second thing is when Jesus said that this kind of thing is not dealt with um, without prayer and fasting, he wasn't saying that, there was a special type of fasting or there was a special type of prayer or you had to pray a certain amount of times and, oh, yes, now they can cast out these demons. But he was speaking about being in constant communion with God and submitted to the will of God, submitted to his will. I know there are certain things that we can come up against that um, need a, a strong prayer, that need declaration, that need that, but that is not something that you can't have. It's not something that you can't attain. As long as we're submitted to the will of God, we all can have that power. It would do well for us to remember that we are no match for our enemy. I know that's depressing thought and a bit sobering, but you know what? He has more power than us. You cannot win against the devil in your humanity. And too often we think, because we have got the Holy Ghost and we can speak in tongues that we have the power to do anything 
But we need to remember that when he first filled us with the Holy Ghost, the first time, what happened? I surrender all. That's how the Holy Ghost came. That's why how we had the power back then was when we were surrendered all, everything. And without that surrender in our lives, every day, not just the first day we were filled with the Holy Ghost, we cannot and will not be able to fight the devil and gain victory over the struggles that we face. It cannot be done. People have tried. I've tried. Time and time again, I've tried and I have failed and come up short. If we aren't praying, if we aren't being yielded to the Spirit of God, we will not survive, church. We won't. We won't survive if we're not praying daily. It's a command. We have to do it. We have to pray. And I know it's hard. I know. Every day my alarm goes off and there are days I'm like snooze, 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 and then it's too late. And then I'm rushing to work and I'm not walking in the kingdom because I'm not submitted to his will. I know it's hard. I'm not saying that, you know, it's easy. And I, I never jump out of bed in the morning at 5.30 and go, oh, yay, this is so awesome. Never. I can't remember the time that that ever happened. Some of you, you are probably like that, but not me. But we have to decide and make a choice that if I want to live in the will of God, if I want to be submitted to the kingdom, if I want to see people saved, if I want my friends and my family to be saved, I need to be submitted to his will so that I can follow his leading. I've just finished reading a book about a man who went to Somalia. And man, I was crying on the train. It was that sad. Um, and he um, felt the call to go there to help set up a relief effort uh, for the people after the devastating effects of the war that was there in the 80s and the early 90s. And when he went there, there wasn't much help at all. There was nothing. On, no, the UN weren't there. There was no no support. And he made a statement in the book, which I thought was really profound and I wanted to share it with you. He said, quickly I learned that I could never divorce my decisions from my prayer time and my relationship with God. I guarded against assuming a level of responsibility and authority that was not mine to assume. He knew that he did not have the power. He did not have the right to assume that authority and make decisions without first consulting the Lord and praying and having that relationship with him. And I do that all the time. I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And I go, well, sometimes I don't. I just go and make the decision and then it comes back and bites me. And I'm like, oh yeah, I should have probably asked God about that first. And many of the stories from his book are of people uh, that lived out their faith in the midst of incredible persecution. Um, and I'll just tell you this, persecution brings revival those churches grew astronomically because they were persecuted. One of the things that he noticed was that these people truly relied on God to give them instruction on where to go, what to say, and how to grow the kingdom. They couldn't just knock on doors. They couldn't just have a casual chat with someone at the coffee shop and go, hey, do you know Jesus? Because they'll go to jail or die. And so they had to rely on the Holy Ghost to tell them when to go, who to speak to, how to go about it. It was up to God because they, they did, they can't, you can't read other people's minds. You don't know if they're secret police. And many times as this gentleman was talking with these people and whatever, he would hear people praying and they would be saying, Lord, where to today? What do you want to accomplish today? 
And recently God's been dealing with me about this. And I think about how often I leave home, get to the train station, sit on the train, read my book, get off the train. And I'm normally reading my book while I'm walking. One day I'm going to fall over. I get to work, do my job, walk back to the train station, read my book, go home, eat my dinner and go to bed. And I wonder how many people I missed to minister to because I was in my own will and what I wanted. I don't want to talk to people today. I'm in a bad mood. You know, and that's, I'm, not, I'm not saying that we, we're not always on top of the mountain. I understand that there are times when we're not, but they should be less and less as we become more and more closer to God. The question that we should be asking ourselves is, Lord, who do you want me to minister to today? What do you want to do through me? We are in a spiritual battle. Too often we're fighting the wrong enemy. And so when it comes to fighting against what Paul calls in Ephesians as principalities, powers, rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness, we have no fight left. And we let spiritual darkness and spiritual wickedness win another battle. We spend time fighting one another. Maybe not physically, but in our minds. If people could see my mind sometimes, I really don't like that person. That's fighting against them. That's fighting frustrated at what that person did or what they didn't do and we spend time fighting ourselves and not letting go of our past and letting it define us and saying this is who I am I'm just not going to be able to change and we fight God and what he's trying to do in us and the struggles that we are weary over so often are things that God doesn't want us to struggle with but because of our refusal to give everything to him he cannot, as Sister Nari said today, he cannot give us the victory that he wants to. And there are those things that we know of. You know, if we were really honest and open with one another, we could write a list of things that we know are not right in our lives. I'm not saying do that. But there are things in our lives that we are not aware of. In Jeremiah 17, verse 9 and 10, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Verse 9 to me is such a sobering verse because I go, My heart is deceitful, desperately wicked. No. I look after those little kids in my neighborhood and let them have water and I give them water balloons to fight with and. You know, I'm such a good person. I'm reaching out. I've repented today. I've ticked off the list of the things I've done wrong. But there are things in our hearts that we are not aware of. And that's the problem with our heart. It hides itself from itself. So that the owner of the heart doesn't even know. And a corrupt heart is the worst enemy we can have. Not the devil. Not the devil. Because many times it is so far gone before that evil is even perceived by the human mind. A simple example of this is, you know, I think I'm a pretty good person. And on the way here tonight, someone cut me off and they were going really, they cut me off to try and get in front of me, but then they slowed down and they were going like 10 k's under the speed limit. And this thing just boils up in me. I know we use this, ex- this example all the time, but it's true. It really shows the state of your heart when you go, oh, what did that person think? You're like, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to be late. Like, chill out. But I don't. 
And we wonder why people can get to that point where they're murdering and horrible, evil things. It just comes from making one decision way back when to not surrender to God. It's in each and every one of us. We cannot trust in man because our purpose is continually changing. One minute we want this, the next minute we want to do that. And we only are ever motivated by self-interest. What can I get out of this? What's in it for me? You may not think so, but it's the truth. It's the truth. That's what the human heart is like. It's selfish, very selfish. If it's not surrendered to God. If it is surrendered to God, it can be a good thing. <coughs> I find it interesting that the word rain without a G is used here, like the leather straps um, that are draped over a horse that a rider uses to direct. I want you to go this way, so pull this way in. I want you to go that way. Instructing the horse where it needs to go. And the Lord comes in and he tries the reins of our heart to see who is reigning with a G in our heart when he tries to pull us a certain way that he wants us to go and he feels a resistance again that against that direction he knows who's reigning in our lives he can see which kingdom is really having an effect in our hearts many times though it's actually because he already knows he doesn't have to try the reins but when he does try the reins it kind of opens our eyes to see where our hearts are at right and how much resistance we may have to how he's wanting to rule in us. I've been in church all my life. One before this, but this one's my main one. And um, I kind of—I guess we came to the truth when I was in my early teens. And from then until about three years ago, thought I was just fine. Thought I was just, you know, good Christian, doing good stuff, you know, dressing the right way, saying the right things. And something happened that I never, ever, ever thought I would do. I just never in a million years would thought I would do that. And it gripped me and it took over my life. And I thought, how did I get here? How did I get here? I never thought I could be like this. But it was because I never really gave God true and whole reign over my life. I only knew a small portion of my heart. I didn't know what it was capable of until that point. And Jesus showed me really the utter wickedness that is in me. And then I had a choice to make. Do I give in to my own desires and do I continue to lead this way and go the way that I want that makes me feel good? When in actual fact it doesn't because I'm struggling between these two kingdoms, it does not make you feel good in the end. All it brings is destruction. Or would I make the choice to allow God to take over every single part of my life? Every part. My job. My car. My family. My future husband. Everything. Every part of my life he has to touch. He has to have reign. Way back in the beginning, Eve had a choice. She was able to choose the kingdom she would come under. It's a powerful thing. You have the power. And the devil told her, the reason God doesn't want you to eat the fruit is just because you will become your own God and he won't have all the power and control anymore. And so Eve decided, yeah, that sounds good. I want to be my own God. Not realizing that really what was happening 
when she was giving over her body, soul, and spirit, her whole being to the devil and his ways. She was actually relinquishing any kind of control that she thought she was actually gaining. When we don't pray, when we don't deny the flesh, and I know we talk about this, but it's the truth. When we allow our flesh to rule, we are just allowing Satan's kingdom to rule. We are just allowing him to rule. We think we're doing it. We think it's our kingdom, but it's just part of his kingdom. All Satan wants to do is destroy you. It's all he wants to do. He wants to take you down, take you out, and take him with, to hell. He wants to take you to hell. But after what I found that my heart is, heart is capable of, I have decided that I must allow God to come and take out the garbage. I must be saved. This is not something to joke about. This is heaven or hell. There's no in-between. There's no, oh, well, I was a good person, so I'll just go to this level of his kingdom. No, it's either heaven or hell. That's the two choices we have. The two choices we have. Come in. Clean my house. Take out the things that shouldn't be there. Even the things that I don't want to let go of. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. Don't tell me what makes me feel good anymore. Because that stuff doesn't save me. I want him to change me. And to make me into what he wants me to be. John chapter 10 and verse 1 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. text at the beginning when my message said that the Lord stands at the door and he knocks we read in John 10 the thief doesn't knock he doesn't use the door he sneaks around and he finds another way he doesn't knock have you ever had someone come to your house and knock on the door and you open it and they say oh I'm just a thief I'm just going to come and steal everything and ransack your house I wish it was like that I would not be as scared when I hear noises outside but there's a reason I get scared when I hear a noise outside. Someone trying to break in. That's what we should be in the spiritual realm. We need to be aware of what's going on around us, church. We need to be going, hold on. Is he trying to get in that way? Is that my flesh trying to deceive me? Is that giving the devil a way into my life? And that should scare us. It should bring fear. It shouldn't debilitate us and hold us captive, but it should bring a fear that then brings a response. Uh Uh-uh, no, I'm boarding that up. I'm going to put locks all over that. Make sure it's safe. He doesn't want to be asked in. All he needs is for us to surrender just a tiny little bit. Just one decision gives him access and you've already pretty much gone. Come in, just do what you want to do. That's what the devil does. In Luke 21, we read of the things that are going to happen in the days just before the Lord returns. He gives us um, examples of all the things that are going to happen before he comes back. And verse 10 tells us that nation shall rise against nation and kingdom shall rise against kingdom. And I believe that we are seeing the Lord's day approaching. Do you believe that? I sound like my father. 
But God is coming back, church. No one knows the day or the hour. And as much as he says over and over again, it's true. We need to be reminded God is coming back. He is coming back for his church. And as we see that day approaching, and we do look around you, we don't have to go, oh, oh, he's coming back tomorrow. Oh, I didn't know that. We should be expecting him every moment now. These kingdoms rising against king's kingdoms will happen more and more and more. And we see people fighting in wars over countries, over you know tribes and things like that, over land. But more than ever, we see the fighting between individuals, fighting in families, families being torn apart, parliaments being overthrown, businesses splitting up because two people that were working there didn't like each other, churches splitting all because of a fight for power and control. This is going to be my kingdom. And as the day approaches, that fight will increase. The devil does, he will amp up his strategic plan because he wants to destroy as many as possible. He wants to destroy you, church. He wants to destroy you. And God is coming back very soon for his church. You've heard it over and over. But he's coming back and we must be ready. We must be ready. I just want to ask you this question and I want you to answer honestly in your own mind. If he came back right now, are you ready to see him? Is your heart right with God? Is it right with God? I have to ask myself that. I'm no different from anyone else. Is my heart truly right with you, God? Or are there things in me that hold me back? The urgency is increasing as the fight increases. Millions of people are desperate, desperate for answers. And unless the church are walking in the spirit and allowing his kingdom to rule and to reign, they won't find the answers that they're looking for. I looked up some statistics today. And approximately 105 people die every minute, every minute of every day. So that means by the end of this message, over 3,000 people have died. It's a big number. And I wonder how many of them knew Jesus. The scary thing is that in the same amount of time, 250 people were born every minute. 250 people are born, which means over 6,000 people will be born by the end of this message. And when I look at those staggering numbers, and think of heaven and hell, my automatic response is, how? How do we reach all those people? In my human thinking, it is impossible. Brother David, in his first missions report, shared with us how only 0.34% of the world are apostolic Pentecostals, people with the full truth. How are 0.34% of people meant to reach over 7 billion people? It's nearly 8 billion now. We're asking the wrong question. Just like the, de- the disciples did. He said, why couldn't we cast out the devil? But it's not about us. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about our powers and our abilities. It's about him and whether he reigns in our lives or not. We turn to Acts chapter 1 verse 6. 
chapter 1 and verse 6, Jesus has appeared to his disciples before he ascends to heaven. And uh, they come together. And they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Kingdom to Israel? They still could not see. After all that Jesus had taught them in the time he'd been on earth, that it was never about Israel. It was always about the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven in the, in the New Testament, just in the Gospels. It's over 80 times. And a majority of them are actually in the book of Matthew. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. It's here. I'm the kingdom of God. And yet they still did not understand that this was not a physical meat and drink kingdom. It was not of this world. And verse 7 and 8 says, And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. For me, not for yourself, not to say how great Israel is or how great this person is, but it's for me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. It's through his power that we shall be witnesses unto him, not witnesses of our own power and our own ability. His word, the gospel is expanded when saints of God yield to the will of the Father and allow the Holy Ghost to lead them. Luke 12 verse 31 and 32 says, But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Look for the kingdom. Get in the kingdom. Fear not, little flock. You don't have to fear what's coming. You don't even have to fear what you have to leave behind for the kingdom. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He wants so badly to give it to us. It's his desire that the kingdom of God is expanded in and through us. So more souls are saved. So let's go back to Laodicea and our beginning text, Revelation 3.20. How did Laodicea get to the point where God was so disgusted with their ineffectiveness and lack of zeal for the things of God? How could they now cause him to want to vomit them pretty much out of the kingdom? He didn't want them anymore. The reason is that they began to rely on their own resources to live for him. They stopped praying. They stopped fasting. Stopped being reminded of their humanity. And they became like the Pharisees, thinking they had it all together. And yet their hearts were so far from him to the point where they were useless for the kingdom. There was no point in them even being there. They weren't doing anything for God. And all of us have the potential to become a Pharisee. I've been a Pharisee. Some days I am a Pharisee. <laughs> Go to work and I'm like, oh, what is your problem? Why are you doing that? It's terrible. You're such a sinner. But I'm reminded. It's quite funny. Well, it's not funny. It's not a coincidence, really. It's God reminding me. And every time something like that happens, it's like God goes, oh, you want to remember how human you are? And he brings something into me. And I'm like, oh. And I'm reminded of who I am. That I'm no better than anyone else. No better. The beautiful thing about any of these churches and these letters that were written is that they were all given instruction to get back. I know the first, you know, three quarters of the message has been depressing. But God doesn't want us to stay there. 
first we have to admit that we're there. We have to admit that, yep, you know what? I messed up. I can't do this. But that in itself is such a powerful, powerful decision to make. It's a powerful statement to make. I can't do this. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with admitting that because you can't. No one can. I can't. It's only through God. And the instruction given, and I looked through all of these letters, and the majority of the time, the thing they were told to do was repent. Repent. Just repent. Yes, God was upset at how the Laodicean church was living out the gospel, or the lack thereof. But he didn't wipe them out. He gave them the opportunity. Instead, he, like so many times before, extended his grace over and over again, just like he does in me. In verse 19, it says, this is instruction given to them, and a reminder, as many as I love, he loves you. I rebuke and chasten. I correct. I tell you, you're wrong. That's not right. And I don't like to be told that as a child, even now when my parents say something, I'm like, "Eh, you can't tell me what to do, I'm an adult now. (laughs) But it's because they love me that they tell me those things. It's because our pastor loves us with the love of God that he sometimes says, this is not right and you need to fix it. It's because God loves us. If he, if he doesn't do those things, if he doesn't rebuke and chasten, if he doesn't instruct and correct, then we're going to hell. And we're going to hell because we're going the wrong path and there's no direction. And God wouldn't love us. What, what kind of a loving God would do that? Let us go down to hell? That's not what he wants. His will is that everyone's saved. And because he loves us, he comes and he says, I need you to get your life right. I want you to be something amazing. I can see it in you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. He reminded them it's because he loves them that he brings correction and instruction. And tonight the word of God goes forth. Because he desires that we would be changed. We sung that song, Change My Heart. When we sing those songs, when we really mouth those lyrics, do we just speak from up here or do we really know what we're saying? Pastor spoke the other week at prayer about being honest with God in our time with him. God doesn't want us to go to him with perfection. Sister Cassandra said it to our group of girls last night. He can't work with perfect people. Oh, you're perfect. Okay, well, there's nothing I can do here. Go away. He doesn't, he can't work with that. But he wants us to come and be honest and open. He stands at the door and he knocks. And do you hear him tonight? Are you hearing the voice of God? He wants to come into your home, your heart, your mind, everything that your life is and sup with you. When I looked up the word sup, it just means to dine, but it talks about an intimacy when you invite someone into your home, it's an intimate thing. You know, unless you have one of those massive houses, it doesn't feel very intimate. But when you have, you know, when people come to my house, it's quite small. So it's quite intimate. And we crowd in and it's, I bring them into my space where I maybe didn't make my bed or there's dirt on the floor or, you know, I'm bringing them into, I'm being vulnerable. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, oh my 
they're going to think. Normally I don't because most of the time it's youth and I don't think they see it. Except for Fiston, he sees my dishes and sometimes he gets up and does them, which is great. <laughs> but it's got to be a daily thing. It's got to be a daily thing. If we only have uh, someone over for dinner once every six months, it's going to be hard to have a relationship with them. It's going to be hard. You're not going to have a relationship. It's going to be like you're starting again every single time from the beginning. You can't, you can't grow in that relationship. You cannot live a victorious life without the power of God resident in us daily. And if I can have Brother Moses to the guitar. There are times my home is a mess in the physical and in the spiritual. <laughs> but when those kids come from my neighborhood and they knock, I let them in. And the mess was actually probably from them the day before or something it doesn't matter how messy the inside is we have made this thing that when people come into our homes we think that they need to see the perfect when six or like six and point nine nine days out of the week it's not like that that's not real it's not reality we have to allow God to come into the mess if we don't we're not going to get fixed he's not we can't clean it up I can make my bed. I can vacuum the floor and all of that. But in the spiritual, I can't clean my own house. I don't have the solution. I can't fix it. And we can continue to stay miserable and ineffective in our witness for God and accomplish nothing. We can be lukewarm. And if you want to be like that, that's okay. But nothing's going to happen. We're not going to see revival. But that is not the life that he called me to. He has greater things for me to accomplish through his power. And it's the same for each and every one of you. I know some of you don't even believe that right now. But God has something greater for each of us. He did not call us to this to just kind of scrape in or just be a pew warmer. He wants every single person involved in the kingdom. He needs laborers, every single one of us. Look at the chairs that are empty in this house tonight. It's up to you and me. It's up to you and me to be laborers, to bring them in, to bring in the lost, to bring in the dying, to bring in those that have no hope. It is our responsibility. He can do that through you. He's doing it through me. I didn't know that he could. I didn't know that I could be a witness for Jesus Christ. But every day, I know when I haven't prayed, the days when I pray and I truly submit to God, not just a five or ten minute, Jesus, help me to have a good day today. Amen. But when I truly surrender to God and give him everything, a day does not go past. I can tell you that. Guaranteed, a day does not go past that I don't have the opportunity to show the love of God in someone's life. Because I'm submitting. And it's not easy. I know it's not easy. We are fighting a battle. But you can do it through Christ. You can do it through Christ. He never wanted us to live in a balloon, hidden from the rest of the world, just doing our own thing, walking around with a mask of perfection. People don't need perfect people because they're broken. And all they see is, oh, those people, they're so good. I can never be like that. There are so many people that I've spoken to that have been in our church and they've said, oh, Emma, the reason I didn't say is I just can't be like you. And I'm like, oh my goodness, if you only knew, the only thing that's good in me is Jesus. It's the only thing, nothing of me. Anything that you see that is good is of God, not of me. 
My heart is wicked, deceitful. So what happens when we do pray? When we do let him reign over every part of our life, over every decision that we make. After verse 20, where it says, you know, I'm knocking, and come in, I want to sup with you. He says, to him that overcometh, will I grant to sit with me in my throne. Even as I also overcame and I'm sat down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches. And I know that speaks of when God returns and we overcome at the end, but it speaks of now. If we let him come in, if we open the door, if we submit to him, it is when we have that time with him daily. When we come and he sups with us, that he will grant us the authority of sitting with him on his throne. It doesn't become our throne. It doesn't become, when we sit on it, don't get too comfortable. It's not yours. It's still God's. But he delegates authority and power and dominion that he has at his disposal. And now we have the same power because we surrendered. So we can go out and reach a lost and dying world every moment of every day. When you walk, you're walking in the kingdom of Satan, really. Everywhere you go, when you go to work, when you, wherever you go, we are the king. We have to be the kingdom of God. Otherwise, nothing's changing. You know, when you are submitted to God, you're going to find opposition because every, everywhere you walk, if you're walking in the kingdom of God, you're pushing. No, no longer. This is not your kingdom, Satan. And there will be opposition. There will be times of struggle. But that's the kind of struggle that God's given us the power to take and to fight with. We have the power if we're surrendered. We have to take back the kingdom. This earth, when it was begun, was God's. It was God's and it was under His rule and His reign. We need to take it back. And so tonight, if you'd stand, if you're feeling a little indifferent tonight, feeling a little callous and there doesn't seem to be a fire burning that is supposed to consume you I encourage you to come to the altar surrender once and for all the things that you hold on to there are some things that you can let go of tonight and never have to struggle with again and he will burn brighter that you can imagine you can be a lighthouse in a very dark world he brings light in the darkness You feel like you're ineffective in reaching those around you. I ask you to come present yourself before the Lord and be honest. Be honest with Him. Ask Him for help. He's our Heavenly Father. And as a father, when their child comes and says, I need you, God. I need you, Dad. They can't but help. My dad, every time I go, Dad, can you? Yep, I'll be over in a minute. I mean, he huffs and puffs sometimes. But he comes because he loves me and he wants me to be better. We need to ask him to reign so that when we step out of our homes on Monday morning, tomorrow morning, and we go out of our homes and we go to work, we're stepping into a world where we have the power to fight back. And the power of God's kingdom can be resident in us and manifests through us. He is knocking. He won't force his way in. He won't force his way in, but he knocks. And he wants each and every one of us to open to him. There's nothing to be afraid of.